Hi everyone, my name is Scott, if I haven't met you, and uh, coincidentally it's Scott if I have met you, same name. Stupid joke. Uh, keep your Bibles open if you'd be so kind, into Galatians chapter 1. Quick prayer and then we'll get straight to work. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak, and uh, thank you that you uh, have spoken through your Apostle Paul uh, in the book of Galatians, and we want to be people who hear with our ears, but also with our hearts and lives. Amen. The Apostle Paul is uh, quite a figure one way or the other, wouldn't you say? And he tends to be a guy who elicits a reaction one way or the other. Uh, For example, I used to work with a minister who loved the Apostle Paul. And you know how in um, some Bibles, for some reason, the words of Jesus appear in red letters? Well, there was this rumour circulating in our office team that in his Bible, the words of the Apostle Paul were in red letters. He loved him. But uh, Paul tends to be the subject of negative reaction for most of the time, I think. Uh, he's thought of as a hater of Jewish people or of people in general, uh, perhaps somebody who just prefers cold doctrine and complex logic and convoluted arguments. And uh, I think even in the way you see him depicted in art, it tends to be negative. So in Renaissance art, the Apostle John He always has um, kind of light brown curly hair, porcelain skin, rosy cheeks. And he's always looking up quite wistfully at Jesus like this. Uh, And then uh, the Apostle Peter, uh, he always has like one hand out and eyebrows raised, a bit like this. As though he's just about to say, whoops, because uh, he tends to say stuff without thinking things through. You know, almost as if the first time he hears his thoughts at the same time the rest of us hear his thoughts when they've actually come out of his mouth. But the Apostle Paul, he tends to be depicted with a bit of a snarl on his face, almost like a cartoon villain. And and you might have basically a cartoonish view of the Apostle Paul, and perhaps that might get challenged today as we tune into his letter to the Galatians and hear about Paul and hear about his gospel. It's our second week uh, in the letter to the Galatians in the New Testament. and We've called this series, as you can see on the screen above, Galatians. How the gospel changes everything because the good news about Jesus is at the heart of all that we do as Christians and it really is no exaggeration for us to say that the gospel does change everything. Although I have to admit, when when Bruce first told me we'd be doing Galatians in term three, I was a bit nonplussed. If it's okay to say this, I felt it was a little bit uh, inaccessible and remote. I mean, there's the stuff about fruit in chapter five. That's good. Everyone likes fruit. But all the discussion of Jewish traditions and circumcision, yeah, it just didn't seem uh, particularly inspiring or especially applicable to 21st century life in Sydney. Until I realised that Galatians is about the gospel, Paul's gospel, and that's totally inspiring uh, and accessible and applicable to anyone, wherever they live, whenever they live. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And the first thing I'd like you to see with me is that the gospel is from God. The gospel is from God. Although it's intimately connected to the Apostle Paul, it doesn't originate from the Apostle Paul. It comes from God. Uh, Paul introduces the letter. Have a look in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, by saying that he was sent not from men, but from God. Now he says his gospel also is from God. And before we go any further in fleshing this out, it's worth just reminding ourselves of what exactly 
this gospel is. If you're new here or if you missed last week or if you wouldn't yet call yourself a believer, whatever the situation is, it's better to outline it rather than just assume that we all know it. And in any case, you might be quite surprised at just the variety of answers that Christian people give to that question. What is the gospel? Because I suspect many Christians would say, well, the gospel is that God has a plan for my life. Which is interesting. But see how it's different to how the Apostle Paul describes the gospel in Galatians chapter 1. As we saw last week, he describes the gospel like this in verses 3 and 4. There we go. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father. Notice that? Not so much that God has a plan for your life or my life, but that he had a plan for Jesus' life. And central to that plan was Jesus' death for our sins. He gave himself up unto death on a Roman cross for our sins because of our sins uh, to absorb the wrath of God that was due to us because of our sinful rebellion and ignorance of God. It's key to understand that Jesus' death wasn't just some sort of you know, idealistic or romantic demonstration of love. It wasn't you know, just the ultimate example of sacrifice. It accomplished something for us if we turn and trust in it. It actually does something for us. It rescues us, not only from the coming wrath of God because of our sins, it also rescues us from this present evil age and delivers us into the age to come, into life eternal, which we start to enjoy right now. Now, there are lots of ways of describing the gospel, this great message of good news that lies at the heart of all that we do as Christians. But according to the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1, the gospel message zeroes in on God's plan for Jesus' life and his death as a way of dealing with our sin and our rebellion against God and delivering us from this age into the age to come, the one of life. Now that is how the Apostle Paul describes the gospel. But the key question we're thinking about today is, well, where, where did he get this gospel from? Did he make it up? Uh, did he nick it off someone else? And if he nicked it off someone else, then we don't really have to take him all that seriously. And perhaps the people described in verse 7 as, the, uh, as some people were, were detractors saying, oh, Paul made this up, or alternatively, he's just copied the Jerusalem boys. But the apostle says, unmistakably, no, nah, this gospel comes from God. Have a look at verse 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. The gospel he received came by way of revelation from Jesus. The gospel is from God himself. And to prove that it comes from God, he tells us about his life before he was converted. He tells us briefly about it, the dramatic conversion experience on the road to Damascus that you can read about in Acts chapter 9. And then he tells us a little bit about what happened after he was converted. So before, during and after. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever had one of those conversations where you're in the conversation with the to and fro and then you just want to say after a while, mate, are you an optometrist? Because all you're talking about is eyes. I this, I that. I did this, I went there. You ever had one of those conversations? 
I think this uh, next little section can sound a little bit like that. Uh, just read down the text. I want you to know, I preached. I did not receive it. I persecuted. I was advancing. I did not consult any man. I went immediately into Damascus. Lots of eyes. Or maybe as Glenis was reading the description of his travels, it reminded you of having to look through slash endure your friend's holiday snaps. Here we are at the airport. Here we are on the plane. Here's the chicken tikka masala we had for dinner on the plane. Here's a good one of me in front of the Eiffel Tower. Eiffel Tower again. Eiffel Tower at sunset. Eiffel Tower at night. <laughs> the light's a good one of this one of the yeah, Eiffel Tower. And by that stage you think, I hate the Eiffel Tower. I hate all of France. I hate the entire art of photography. <laughs> Now, the reason why those sort of conversations and just the holiday snaps odyssey is painful is that they're just so self-absorbed, aren't they? The focus is always on the individual telling the story or sharing the, the pictures. Now, the details the Apostle Paul shares here are quite the opposite. They are about him, but they're not designed to focus on him, but rather to show how the gospel could not have come from him or anyone else, but had to come from God. For starters, his life before conversion shows that it was impossible for him to invent the gospel he preached to the Galatians. Have a look in verse 13. Uh, he was basically part of a terrorist cell devoted to the destruction of the fledgling Christian faith. Not content with merely scaring, uh, intimidating or even persecuting, he wanted Christianity destroyed. I mean, you can read, for example, in Acts chapter 8, how he gave his approval to the murder of a wonderful Christian man called Stephen. Or how he dragged Christians from their homes to jail. Or in Acts chapter 26, Paul confessed that when Christians were put to death, he was there, casting his vote against them. Before he became a Christian, the Apostle Paul was zealous for just two things. One was the, the, the traditions of the Jewish religion, and the other was destroying the Christian faith. Utterly ridiculous to suggest somebody like him would come up with something like the gospel by himself when he was hell-bent in his desire to destroy it. He didn't make it up. It came from God. His conversion experience in verses 15 and 16 also explain why his gospel, that's the same gospel he preached to the Galatians, the one and only gospel, is from God and not himself. You know, I already mentioned how uh, in this little section Paul talks so much about himself in the first person, I this, I that. Did you notice in verse 15, though, that uh, it just shifts to but when God. Not I, but God. Because God is the one who took the initiative in saving Paul, revealing himself to Paul, and giving Paul the task of carrying the gospel to the nations of the world, to the Gentiles. You know, brothers and sisters, it's just not the case that we take the initiative in our salvation and God thinks, all right, this one looks like a keeper. I'll save her. God always takes the initiative in Christian faith and in Christian ministry. And none more so than Paul, the persecutor of the faith who showed absolutely no promise for Christian faith or ministry. But in the manifold wisdom and mercy and initiative of God that was planned even before Paul was born, it says. Jesus appeared to him on that road to Damascus in Acts 9 and really the, the world was never the same again. 
Paul's gospel was not his own creation. It originated from God and was given to Paul so dramatically from that day forward. So his life before and his conversion experience, but also now his travel itinerary afterwards show how the gospel he preached is from God. See verse 17, after he experienced that kind of blinding revelation of Jesus and was given the commission to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world, uh, again, you can read about that in Acts chapter 9, he took off. Now, perhaps at the time of Galatians, people were saying, you know, Paul was no big deal. He's just running with what the Jerusalem apostles had already proclaimed. Just copied it of them. Now, what he preached was the same as what the Jerusalem apostles had already proclaimed. It didn't contradict. But the point is that he didn't rip it off them. The point is he was given it directly from God. I mean, in a nutshell, verses 17 to 24, the Apostle Paul basically says he couldn't have just run with something that he got from Jerusalem. For starters, he didn't consult anyone. Literally, it says he didn't speak to any flesh and blood. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't talk with the Apostles there. In fact, from Damascus, he went to Arabia, not to Jerusalem, and then returned to Damascus, which you can kind of see in this little map here. There you go, a long way away. Now, down in Arabia, maybe he was preaching, maybe he was evangelizing, maybe it was more about quiet study and reflection. Some have even suggested he was there for the full three years, communing with Jesus, kind of to make up for the three years that all the apostles had with Jesus while he was on earth, which, you know, sounds cute and maybe it's a possibility. But whatever he did, however long he was there, he wasn't in Jerusalem and he wasn't talking to the other apostles. In fact, the only time in those early days he went to Jerusalem was for a flying visit to meet Peter and James. And then he went north again to Syria, which you can see on the map, and to Cilicia, a long way away from Jerusalem. And just to make sure that we get the point, he says there in verse 22, have a look. He says that the Christians in Judea, that's where Jerusalem is, they didn't know him personally. They only heard the reports that this former terrorist and persecutor had turned and was now preaching the very gospel he tried to destroy. The gospel in Galatians, or in any of Paul's New Testament letters, and it makes up about half of the New Testament by number, is not from Paul. It was not his creation. It was not a tradition that he copied from someone else. It was a revelation from God. He didn't invent it. He didn't borrow it. He was given it by God and then told to declare it to the world. And that's why it's a powerful gospel. And so you have to ask yourself the question, what do I do with this gospel proclaimed by the Apostle Paul? What do I think about it? Especially when I read parts of it that I wouldn't have written, or at least not in that way. Because if it is something just made up by a man, then we can do what we want with it. But... If this message of good news is from God, we are not at liberty, brothers and sisters, to dismiss it, are we? We can't quietly disregard the bits that we don't like or reject those parts we find distasteful, privately saying to ourselves, well, Jesus never said that. You know, the gospel and its consequences is always going to be countercultural. It's often going to run against the spirit of the age. Do you think the idea that the gospel in which we contribute nothing 
in which Jesus died for our sins to rescue us from this evil age, do you think it appealed to those in Paul's day who wanted to contribute to their own salvation, who wanted to feel like they were doing their little bit or that they had to keep Jewish traditions in order to be really saved? I mean, the gospel ran contra to the spirit of that age. It's not always going to be popular, but that's okay. Because like Paul in verse 10, we are not trying to please people or win the approval of men. Like Paul, we're servants of Christ. And part of that means believing and loving and obeying the gospel preached by Paul, the powerful gospel which comes from God. Funny, isn't it, that we can be embarrassed as Christians about the words of Paul in Scripture, whether that's about his kind of sexual ethic, what he says about greed, generosity, relationships, whatever it happens to be, because the early believers weren't embarrassed about him, were they? When they heard the reports that this former destroyer had turned and was now proclaiming the good news about Jesus, verse 24, have a look, they praised and glorified God because of him. Don't you think it's funny we're often reticent to do that? especially when he's our guy, the apostle to the Gentiles. Don't you reckon if he knew about Australia, it would be ticking over in his brain. He'd be thinking, how do I get down there? I need to get me a big boat, I really do, and visit those sophisticated and attractive people along the East Coast. And uh, if I have to, I'll go west. And uh, I may as well drop in on those islands, those three islands that belong to Australia, Tasmania, North Island, South Island, I think they're called. Because... Don't they need to hear the gospel too? The gospel God gave me. He's our guy. And through his letters, he brought us God's wonderful and powerful gospel. And we ought to be praising God for him like the early Judean Christians, not embarrassed of him or dismissive of what he said and wrote. His gospel comes from God. Secondly, and uh, more quickly, this gospel that was given to Paul by God and then preached by Paul to the Galatians is indeed a gospel that transforms lives. And you can see that in his own life. Uh, Once devoted to the destruction of early Christianity, he, he did become, it's no exaggeration I think, to say humanly speaking, its biggest mouthpiece. And you have to think, what could bring about such a reversal of fortune and life direction? Well, happens to be the one and only gospel that centers on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Before the gospel came into his life, he was a villain, but not a cartoon by any means. He was literally signing death warrants. But after the gospel broke into his life, invading his spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit, was there anything that he would not do so that Christians might be encouraged and warned and unbelievers saved? A snarling murderer a devoted spiritual father to the Gentile world. Sure, he says there in chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, I think more in exasperation than in anger because they were being hoodwinked by people who were telling them that the gospel about Jesus was not quite enough. But in that very same chapter, he calls them brothers and sisters. And just a little later on, he says, my dear children, how I wish... I will to be with you now. 
You see, he's transformed from violence to peace, from zeal in persecuting believers to joy in suffering for Jesus, from murder to loving Christians deeply. It's a powerful gospel, friends, because it transforms people. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, look, Paul might be a bit of an extreme example. But the truth is, the gospel of Jesus, which transformed Paul, is the same gospel which can transform us. There's only one gospel. It's from God, and it works. And you know the gospels of our day and age promise much, but deliver little. You ever find yourself watching that commercial on TV for Oslotto with the truckload of money, and just thinking somewhere in your heart, wish I was driving that? How many of us, though, know rich people with all the things of the world and not a thing to live for? Wealth, it's a gospel, a a message that doesn't transform because it doesn't rescue us from sin or the present evil age and it doesn't bring us to God. Or we watch uh, shows like The Biggest Loser and see those transformations which are genuinely inspiring But then you do hear stories afterwards of, you know, when the cameras stop rolling and contestants are left feeling isolated uh, and unsupported. And that gospel of health and fitness proclaims that somehow if we run a few more kilometres or change our diet or shed a couple more kilos, that will be the transformation we really need. Now, we all know that it is good to be fit and healthy. It is good to be fit and healthy. But inevitably, our bodies will let us down. And the gospel of health and fitness, it's, it can't bring the transformation that we really need because it doesn't change us in deep ways from the inside out. Or you might think that moral or religious transformation, well, that's what you really need. If I can just change myself, if I can just do more, if I can man up, if I can be a better woman, perhaps we think somewhere in the deep recesses of our soul that our moral or religious efforts might contribute to or top up our salvation. I mean, that certainly seemed to be going on in Galatia. But the gospel of self-help, moral transformation, whatever you want to call it, it leaves us feeling proud if we think we've been successful or depressed if we think that we've failed. And neither of those sound particularly transforming to me. Only God's gospel, centred on God's Son, Jesus, no more and no less in the power of God's Spirit, can do that. Now, I said earlier that the Gospel message is more about God's plan for Jesus' life than for your life or my life, but the truth is we are caught up in that plan because God wants us, like Paul, to be transformed by the Gospel, whether we are not yet a believer or whether we have been one for 50 years or more. That is why we say the Gospel, the good news about Jesus, is not just the ABCs, of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. The gospel which so transformed Paul's life from his dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road until the day of his death is the one and the same gospel which can transform your life and my life if we know it and believe it and love it and let it get to work in our lives. Ah yes, the Apostle Paul, hater of Jewish people, of people generally, cartoon villain, always gets a reaction one way or the other, 
But I really hope today that you react by praising God for him because of the way God transformed his life by the gospel, because of the gospel itself that God gave him to proclaim to the nations of the world, even our nation here. But we don't just want to praise God for Paul. We want our lives too to be transformed by God, by that same gospel, the one and only good news about Jesus that transformed Paul's life. So our word from the Lord today is to know it personally and to believe it deeply and to love it truly and to let it get to work in our lives. And I'm going, to be, I'm going to pray that we would be people who do just that. So join me in prayer. Lord, we do praise God for the Apostle Paul, for the way you transformed his life so dramatically, and then for the, for the gospel that you gave him that he proclaimed to the nations of the world. So we praise you for him. And Lord, we also praise you for uh, his gospel, and we want to be people who are transformed by it. So we ask that you would help us to know it personally, to believe it deeply, to love it truly, and to let it get to work in our lives. For Jesus' sake and his glory and honour, we pray these things. Amen.